This episode of Shaun of the South is brought to you by Case Knives, a tradition of my family dating back to my granddaddy, the fisherman, the woodcarver, and the Southern Baptist, who always said the best cure for idle hands is to build something. So keep your hands sharp with a Case Knife. Hey, you are listening to Sean of the South, and I'm your host tonight, Sean Dietrich. And man, we've got a great show lined up ahead of here. Great show coming to you live in the podcast airwaves and the radio waves all over this fine nation. These two beautiful girls you see behind me fixing to play music for you are the Presley Sisters, everybody. The Presley Sisters. Bye. 
Portion of our program is brought to you by VisitNorthAlabama.org, the Mountain Lakes Tourist Association. Visit the 16 North Alabama counties and make this state what it is. Let's talk barbecue here for just a minute. Now you can visit the Mud Creek Restaurant in Hollywood, Alabama, off County Road 213, and you can get the tenderest pork you ever had. Or how about New Market Barbecue in New Market, Alabama, off Winchester Road? When you visit, tell them Sean sent you. And watch their eyes go blank when they answer who in the Sam Hill is Sean. <laughs> and if you're sick and tired of having low cholesterol, get to Florence, Alabama, and visit Smokin' on the Boulevard Restaurant. You can taste dry rub meat, slow smoked over hickory coals. It will change your life, bless your heart, and make a believer out of you. So go visit the North Alabama Barbecue Trail today, because whatever you do, you can do it better in North Alabama. So visit NorthAlabama.org or hashtag VisitNorthAL. Now let's have another tune here from the Presley Sisters, everybody, the Presley Sisters.
going to read a little bit of our mail tonight, a little bit of our mail sent to us from listeners all over this fine nation. I had nothing better to do than put pen to paper or type us out an email message or send us a text message using nothing but their thumbs or to send us a letter delivered in a manila envelope via law enforcement personnel asking us to cease and desist under threat of legal representation. Our first letter comes to us tonight from Sherry Beverly in Topeka, Kansas. Topeka, Kansas. Sean, I'm a recent college graduate. I'm 34 years old. I'm so proud of myself. I always wanted to get my degree before I turned 30. I'm a little late, but it's still a big day for me this year. Big, big day. I had to tell somebody about it. Actually, I'm telling everybody about it, anybody who will listen. My son also has a big day coming up. He's about to turn 13, and this means I will finally allow him to start cutting our grass, which is awesome because that means I don't have to do anything anymore but sit on my duff. Thanks very much, Sherry. Well, dear Sherry, congratulations to you for not having to fire up that old rusty lawnmower anymore. And here is to child labor. Lee Miller, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Sean, I work in Philly for work, and it's a tough place to be. It's not that I'm not grateful for this job, because I am, it pays good. My wife and I love being able to see new things, new people, and go different places, but I do miss my home in Georgia. I miss it hard. Going back for home visits is just not the same as living up there and waking up knowing that all the stuff around you is yours to enjoy, like the woods and the tall grass and the wild deer that used to come across our property in the mornings. I have a few more years here before I go back home to Georgia. And to quote a famous saying, when I get back to Georgia, I'm gonna nail my feet to the ground. Sincerely, Lee. Alexander, Georgetown, South Carolina. Yesterday I watched an Andy Griffith marathon, Sean, and I thought of you. It was a great, great thing until they started playing episodes after Barney left the show. I couldn't even watch it. I could not even watch it. I was, I was too weirded out to watch it. It was like seeing a couple that you used to be friends with out in public right after they get divorced and it just doesn't feel right. How sad. How sad to see Andy and Barney not do their thing together. And then I tuned in again just to see what was happening and the show had gone into full color and it got even worse to me. Something wrong about Mayberry in color. So that said, I just wanted to tell you, I hope you never make your podcast in full color. And whatever you do, whoever the Barney Fife is in your life, don't let him go, Sean. Don't let him go. Signed, Alexander. Well, dear Alexander, I'm not sure exactly what you mean about the Barney Fife. Sometimes I feel like uh, I am my life's own Barney Fife. Uh, speaking of, you know, incompetence and stuff. But I, I do agree with you exactly with what you're saying about the Andy Griffith show and how it changed after they left Barney and went into full color. And I just, you know, if it were up to me, if I were the producers, I would have nipped it. I mean, nip it, nip it, nip it, nip it, nip it in the butt. Thanks for the letter. Sarah Peterson, Ashland, Oregon. I love to camp. I love it. I've camped all over the Pacific Northwest, but when I tried to camp in the south, down near Ocala, Florida, and then went up into Georgia, I was absolutely miserable. In Florida, you have so many bugs and mosquitoes, and if they don't get you, the strange things in the woods will. And while I was out there, I happened to be listening to your podcast about Florida and how many snakes and scorpions y'all have and the stuff that, that lurks in the woods. And I was thinking the whole time, 
you know what? Forget this. I don't need to camp just to prove something to myself. I'm an adult. So I went in and I checked into a hotel in Jacksonville, Florida. I had a pretty good time after that. I'm a single girl, longtime basketball player, baseball player. And I loved fish, too, which Florida, I found out, is very good for me. A lot of guys are intimidated by me and my outdoor spirit, and I don't know why. I'm just telling you this. Uh, I don't know why I'm telling you this, except to say I don't think I'll ever go camping down south again, no offense. Though I do hear they have pretty good camping up in Michigan because they ain't got no flies or no humidity. But I think it's supposed to be cold up there. That might be something to contend with. Cheers from Sarah. I'm on my way back to Ashland tomorrow, and I will miss it here. I do like the culture and the hospitality of the South. Here's to it. Here's to it. Well, dear Sarah, thanks for the letter. Uh, before you leave, I have one tiny point of advice. Not that you need it, uh, a world traveler like you. I hope and pray that you're able to locate for yourself a baggie of bold peanuts, the Cajun kind. Oh, mm. I hope you get them and I hope you eat them while you drive wherever you're going. Just trust me. Give it a shot. You'll thank me later. This next letter comes from Beth. Uh, no city listed. Just Beth. Dear Sean, I don't mean to be a downer, but I am missing my sister pretty badly. My sister was buried in a box last year and laid beside my mother and father while neckties and people fine clothes rallied around her and talked to me about angels and about how my sister was no longer suffering from cancer. And although I know they meant well, I hated hearing it. I hated it. She was my anchor and I wanted her here and I still do. The grief is still so raw that I have a hard time remembering all the years we had together without choking on the reality of it all. She encouraged me to follow where my heart led. She believed in me always. She was proper. She never swore. She always smiled. And she was always the first to remind me to behave. And I was, and I am, the little baby sister who was covered in tattoos, who rides on the back of a motorcycle, who swears and never, ever remembers to behave. Boy, I felt out of place at her funeral. And I stayed behind when they covered her up. I couldn't stand the thought of leaving before it was finished. She wouldn't have left me if the roles were reversed, I know that. Funny thing is, none of it, the service, the music, the words, the preaching, none of it was her. She was the kind of girl who would laugh while clapping her hands with bad hair. She told awkward jokes. She was genuine kindness and all things love. She was standing at a chair in my memory. I can see her standing on a chair at a Bob Seger concert, bald, hands in the air, singing with me to the tops of our lungs. And then she just wasn't here. It changed me. I found myself wanting to be where she is. For her to know how great my kids are doing and how I'm still painting shoes for little kids with cancer and how I finally got my own motorcycle and I'm learning to ride it with my daughter and how precious, how precious she was and how I'm trying so hard to follow the example my sister set. I love her and miss her so much that it aches. How I still swear, but not as much. I hope she clapped her hands on that day and threw her head back and laughed. And I hope she did the same thing when my daughter brought home a puppy a week after she passed. I fought it. I didn't want a puppy. But once I smelled that puppy breath, I knew that dog was helping me to be brave enough to love again without fear. I hope she knows there won't be a single necktie at my funeral. No box, no sad music. I will be escorted out by a huge yet very tender motorcycle bikers, men who stepped in and became my family when she left, and they'll be blaring the song written by Bob Seger, Roll Me Away, and then I'll finally be on my way back to see my sister, Love Beth. 
Well, dear Beth, not to anyone else who's lost a loved one. May we never forget them. May we always remember those who have left us have never really left us at all. C.C. Bryson, Marfa, Texas. Sean, I took my son to the grocery store yesterday. He's a 10-year-old boy, and he was so enamored while we were walking the aisles of this grocery store with a little girl who was also walking the aisles of the grocery store with her mother. And he wanted to keep tabs on her. She was a pretty little girl, and so we did. We kept tabs on her and sort of followed her wherever she went. It felt kind of creepy. And I was thinking to myself, isn't 10 years old a little young to be girl crazy? But I guess not. My son told me that he went to school with this girl and he had a huge crush on her. And I was surprised he even knew what the word crush meant. But it's true, my son was enamored. He was in love. And so he bought her a gift and then we had to wait after we bought our groceries standing outside by my truck until she came out with her mother so that he could wave hi to her and then give her something he bought for her inside. She took her gift and then he took things a step further and asked her if she would be his girlfriend. He just came right out and asked it. I don't know how he did it. I don't know where this kid gets his nerve. Certainly not from me. But the little girl just shook her head and said, no, I don't want to be your girlfriend. And Sean, just like that, he had his first broken heart. It all happened so fast, right there in the parking lot. He was quiet for the entire ride home and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mince words. I'm not ready for my kid to grow up. In my mind, he'll be 10 years old forever. And I will always be here for him. Signed, CC. Well, dear CC, I understand that having a kid grow up is really hard. From, from, from friends of mine who have kids, I don't have no kids, so I couldn't comment on that but I do understand it's hard and I can tell you one thing so is life which is why there are going to be lots of well wishes sent out here tonight to anyone and everyone who's listening to this show for some unknown reason they've got it playing on their phone or on their radio or, or on their speaker system best wishes best wishes and love to all who need them to anybody who has endured the worst thing in the world sadness, the departure of a loved one, or anything that just stings. Here is a bunch of well wishes from a lot of people who you don't know but are thinking of you right now. And especially, we wish well wishes to those who have endured probably the most heartbreaking thing that can happen to a parent who becomes an empty nester, which is being forced to go back to cutting your own grass. And that's letters from our listeners. Letters from our listeners. How about another tune here from the Presley Sisters, everybody? Give it up for the Presley Sisters. Don't be 
Well, it's been very, very hot out where I'm from. It's been very, very hot out there on the Choctahatchee Bay. The heat gets so intense that some people are putting pans of water on top of their, the hoods of their car just to watch them boil while the kids are doing stuff just to, to be entertained. Uh, it's, it's very easy to be entertained when you're a child. You run through the woods in the heat and you do things you can only do in the heat, like running barefoot across the pine straw and the Cahaba lilies and through the longleaf pines and, and, and running around with your friends doing various activities that make no earthly sense once you reach a certain age and logic kicks in, like building a campfire in a place where you do not intend to camp and using a lot of charcoal lighter fluid to do it. So much charcoal lighter fluid that they can smell it in the neighboring neighborhood where everybody is out in their gardens working and trying to grow something in the sandy Floridian soil and they smell this lighter fluid. What? And the lighter fluid last week that these two little boys my little area were making a fire, caught fire and some of the dry wire grass and it started catching fire and running through the longleaf pine woods. And it was lucky that Mr. Arnold was outside tilling his, his soil up after a failed year of tomatoes again and he smelt that smoke and he went out there with his garden hose which is long and, and very, very powerful and he put that thing out before it became a big problem. A lot of rambunctious things this time of year. It's just who we are. It's who kids are. Kids do this to make up for the confidence that they don't have. It takes experimentation to find confidence. Confidence is not something that's bestowed upon you and your birth. It's something that is earned. And some kids earn it easier than others because they, they have parents who give it to them just like a, a parent who would give a child his allowance every week. These kids earn their confidence a lot easier than other people. But then there are kids like me who have to work a little bit harder to earn half the confidence that the other kids have earned because we are what is known as chubby redheads. <laughs> now I know you look at me now and you would not know that I was a chubby redhead a long time ago. My mother says I got to run around in the shower just to get wet and so skinny. But back then I was a little bit chubby, not, not very chubby. I don't, I don't mean that you could roll me down the, the school hallway like a butterball ham, but I certainly was no, no skinny guy who people had the, you know, called bean pole. I mean, if someone would have called me bean pole, I would have probably kissed them, but they didn't call me that. I was a little chubby. I was a little underconfident. I had red curly hair, red curly hair that made me look like the love child between Eleanor Roosevelt and Barney Fife. <laughs> I, was a, I was a quiet kid, a quiet child, and there was this girl that I really, really liked. She was lovely. She was lovelier than all the rest. I was the age when everybody my age was in the 10th grade. And her name was Becky Abraham. She was just, just beautiful. She had long brown hair that, that was a little bit curly. These big old fat ringlets that were kind of like Shirley Temple ringlets on steroids. Just, just pretty. Blue, sharp, piercing blue eyes that when she looked at you, you got the feeling that this woman was not a girl but a woman. She had probably never told a lie in her life or done anything dishonest or immoral because she was good. You could see this from her eyes. She was probably more holier than the Pope himself. <laughs> she wore these fuzzy sweaters and she would always pull her hair back and I would watch her from a distance and I loved her. I just really, really liked this girl. But, like most things in life, she didn't even know I existed. She was completely oblivious to the idea that there was a kid named Sean who was watching her from afar. And I tried all sorts of things to maybe hit, to get her attention before. Little things. Once, at a church social, she was standing way over by the potluck table, and I was way over with a bunch of other, you know, helpless stags who were also chubby redheads. 
And while they were discussing the finer points of television shows that nobody cares about, like Gunsmoke or Big Valley or Bonanza, I was lost looking at Becky, who was over there by the jugs, those orange igloo cooler jugs of tea. We always had at our church socials, potlucks and covered dish suppers. We had two kinds of tea. We had a big jug of sweet tea and a big jug of sweet, sweet tea. <laughs> and I watched her while my buddies were talking about these, these westerns. We were cowboy fanatics, cowboy fanatics, because children with low confidence levels got to have somebody to, to inspire the heroism within themselves. And I watched my buddies talk, but I heard no words come out the mouth because I was watching Becky Abraham. Oh, Becky. She was laughing with her friends and she was smiling. I mean, her friends and her were smiling at each other like they just discovered teeth. Just pretty girls. And my buddy Mickey was standing there with me. And he said, why don't you go talk to her? And he can't lose nothing. I mean, if she don't know you exist, she will when you're done. I said, that's what, that's what worries me. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? I said, look at me. And there I was, just this little butterball. My mother used to say that when I wore slacks, because I had skinny legs that were unnaturally lean from my, my upper half, which was a little bit chubby, that I looked like a man riding a chicken across the front lawn. <laughs> I was awkward, and I was, I was timid, and I was shy. I couldn't think of a reason just to go cold turkey approach this girl and say what? Hey, my name's Sean. Do you like meatloaf? Whereupon she would look at me and say, what? So my buddy Mickey, who was a little more experienced than I was, not that much more experienced, but a little more experienced than I was, says, why don't you write her a note and I'll hand deliver it. And so we went back into the church kitchen and we found some, some yellow paper on a legal pad and I wrote uh, spontaneously a poem that I could just, you know, rattle off. And I don't even remember how it went, but it was something along the lines of, I love your eyes, I love your hair, I love your smile. And so sure enough, he took this, this, this poem, which was really just a, 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 just a ridiculous poem. It was a poem comparing her hair to the golden color of honey and comparing her, her, her blue eyes to, to the color of the sky when there's no clouds out and comparing her, her the complexion of her skin to milk. I mean, these were typical cliches by a 15-year-old boy. I mean, you can't get much more cliche than skin like milk and hair like honey. And to make matters worse, when he delivered this letter, I didn't want her to see me. She read the note, and she gave this, this not a smirk, but it was clear that she was not entertained by what I had to say. And so that was my first dealings with Becky Abraham. Until when I was with a few of my friends and Mickey was talking about some, some girl that he was trying to impress, the conversation-shifted to me and Mickey looked at me and said, hey, you know, we got to get you, we got to get you noticed by, by Becky Abraham. And all the other boys looked at me and they nodded too because, because boys are communal and we help each other and we, we are we do things for each other that are, you know, camaraderie. We're very, very unified when it comes to being a team. If, if one of our boys has really, really bad B.O., by God, we will all develop B.O. To, to mask him <laughs> so that he is not alone. And if, if one boy makes a fool of himself, we will all make fools of ourselves because, well, a, it's very, very easy to make a fool of yourself if you're a boy. And B, we don't want him to feel alone. And so Mickey was trying to come up with a solution to my problem. He said, I got it. I got a solution to your problem. Every girl, Sean, wants to feel like she's being rescued. And I know how we're going to do it. And so right there in Mickey's bedroom, Amidst the comic book magazines of Archie and, and, and Batman and Superman and Spider-Man and, and Gunsmoke and Bonanza and Big Valley comic books, we devised a plan, five adolescent boys, on how Becky Abraham would notice me. And so 
It would take place on a Friday night at the football game when the entire town was out and gathered on the bleachers, sitting on these metal bleachers which dated back to the William Taft presidency. <laughs> dangerous, dangerous overload of body weights and, and people jumping up and down during touchdowns and, and field goals. And there was always a dull murmur rolling around the along the crowd and whenever a, a play was made they'd all leap to their feet and they'd scream loud enough to vibrate your eardrums and rattle your skull. And me and Mickey stood at a distance with three other boys and we all talked among ourselves. And I remember Mickey saying, do you have the plan? Do you have it down? I said, I got it, I got it. He said, let's go through it one more time. I said, okay, okay, you're gonna wander over there to Becky and you're gonna make a pest of yourself and be all hands and be a complete jerk and I'm gonna beat you up. <laughs> he said, right, now where are you gonna hit me? I said, right there. He said, right here? You hit me right here in the ribs, you're gonna kill me. I said, no, you hit me right here and he patted his belly and then he lifted up his shirt and underneath his shirt, was a piece of tire rubber, which he had salvaged from a 1987 Chevy Impala we'd gotten from the junkyard in Andalusia. And he'd wrapped it around his stomach, and then he tapped it with his knuckles, and it made a sound. He said, you hit me right here, you can't hurt me. And it's rubber, it won't hurt your hands neither. He said, go ahead, let's try And so I, I, I reared back, I said, you sure? He said, come on, we got to see if this works, cowboy. And so I, I reared back and I came forward at him and I hit him and it made this dull thud sound and he pretended like it really hurt. I said, Mickey, Mickey, are you okay? And then he started giggling. He said, I'm fine. See, I didn't even feel it. I didn't even feel it. We're going to be great. It's going to be just, just great. She's going to notice you. She's going to love you. She's going to, I mean, you're going to have a good good life together. I entertained the idea that we would go off together. I would, I would beat Mickey to a pulp and be her rescuer. We would ride off into the sunset like high-riding heroes, like Gene Autry and Roy, or Roy Rogers, and we would ride off together and start a new life for ourselves. And we would take evening walks on the beach, and we would sit together in the den, and she would read her, her Women's World, and I would read the Sears and Roebuck catalog or, or, or something, comic books, and we would have these conversations about life and philosophy, and then we would eat dinner together and we would fall asleep on each other's arms and, and we would have grandkids and kids and she would turn to me one day while we were walking together on our large estate plantation and, and admiring our millions of acres she would say do you remember when we met and how you beat that sucker to a pulp for me and I'd say oh Becky do you know that that was all staged for your benefit and then she would laugh and she'd say ha 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 you're such a brilliant person and I would say, I did it for you. And then we would, we would go saddle up our horse and ride off into the sunset again just because we could do that because we had so much money that we owned several horses and several acres and, and even the horizon. So You think about these things when you're a boy. You think about these things. Your mind just goes off into one direction like a rabid squirrel. And Mickey said, come on, snap out of it. We got to get you going. And I started to shake. I started to get nervous and tremble. I said, I don't know if I can do it. He said, of course you can do it. I said, I don't know if I can do it. I'm, I'm scared. Look at me. I'm shaking. He said, quit shaking. You can do this. You can do this. I said, I don't know. I said, I, I feel sick to my stomach. He said, listen to me. Look at me. You can do this, Roy. I said, Roy? He said, yeah, come on, like, like Roy Rogers. I said, I ain't Roy Rogers. Everybody knows I'm Gene Autry. Mickey said, you are not Gene Autry. I am always Gene Autry. You are Roy Rogers. I said, you can't be Gene Autry because you don't sing. He said, what do you mean I don't sing? Of course I sing. I was invited to be in the church choir. I said, you can't be in the church choir because, I mean, there's a bunch of 93-year-old women who couldn't hit a tune in a bucket. That ain't no <laughs> flattering thing. He said, you're just jealous. Of course I can sing. See, watch. Back in the saddle again. I said, no, 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 no. Back in the saddle again. 
Out where a friend is a friend Where the lonesome cattle feed On the lowly gypsum weed I'm back in the saddle again He said, fine, fine Tonight, you're Gene Autry You're Gene Autry, okay? Are you satisfied? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm Gene Autry He said, get up there Have some confidence in yourself And let's do this And so we walked toward the big set of bleachers in the distance cut against the dark night sky. The sounds of the frogs faded in the distance and were replaced by the sounds of the crowd in front of us who were standing and cheering for touchdowns and field goals and sitting down and, and, and murmuring among themselves and pointing to the field. And we got to the bleachers and I saw her there in the corner, the corner midway on bleachers, Becky. Abraham sitting there with her hair pulled back in a ponytail and a fuzzy sweater and her girlfriends were around her and she just seemed to glow like the evening star. Mickey said, it's showtime, cowboy. <laughs> and so I, Gene Autry, walked to the very top of the bleachers and Mickey started staggering forward on the front of the bleachers. He was really giving an Oscar-worthy performance. He was staggering like he was just happy. And he was smiling and he was making, making loud remarks to people in the stands and he was acting a fool, just hamming it up. And I walked to the very, very top where nobody could see me, the top of the bleachers, the very last row, and I watched the whole thing and waited for my cue. And I was shaking. Mickey walked up the little aisle until he found Becky and her friends, and, and they were all sitting together cheering at the game, and without even asking, Mickey sat right down next to Becky, and he put his shoulder right up against hers, and he started cheering loud and acting like a moron, and he started waving his hands and screaming things at the field. I mean screaming loud at the field. And Becky turned sideways to look at him. She gave these ugly looks at him, and her girlfriends did the same thing. And Mickey didn't slow down. He was just getting louder and louder. And I could see that, that hump underneath his belly where that tire was. And I just waited. He annoyed her for a good, I don't know, five or six minutes. And then it was my cue. He touched his head like he was starting to develop a headache. And that's when I knew it was my turn. And so I stood up and I said to myself, come on, you can do it, cowboy. It's showtime. And I started to stride across those bleachers. And I got halfway through, and I realized I was too late. There was a woman in front of Mickey who had stood up, and she was about 475 pounds with short cropped hair and shoulders that were bigger than a Buick. <laughs> she was probably 6'7", and she had hands that were the size of Virginia hands. <laughs> she gripped Mickey by the shirt, and she said, the young lady asked you to leave her alone. <laughs> Mickey's feet were off the ground, and he looked at this woman with big eyes the size of washtubs. He said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, help, help. And he looked over at me. <laughs> he, was, he was shaking and trembling. I saw his hands shaking and trembling, and that big, big woman, a senior who played, who played softball, walked him over to the edge, dragging him across the crowd of people. He was thumping all sorts of people's laps and knees and spilling drinks and a cloud of peanuts and popcorn were falling behind him. And he screamed like a girl. He said, help, help. And he looked at me and I just shrugged and said. And she drug him all the way to the end of the guardrail where he was about 15 feet above the ground. And she said, next time a young lady tells you to stop, you better stop. And then she lifted him by the collar and held him outward over that guardrail. She got her other hand and grabbed him by the seat of the pants and he screamed like a 10-year-old schoolgirl. And she wrung him back, swung him like a pendulum, and she hurled him out into the night sky, and Mickey went sailing airborne like a skydiver, and he hit the ground on his stomach, and it knocked the wind out of him, and then he rolled onto his back, and he stared upward at the night sky, and all four of us boys came running toward him, and we leaned over him, and we said, Mickey, Mickey, speak to us, Mickey. 
And Mickey's eyes blinked open, and he let his weary gaze focus on the boys. And I saw his eyes dart over to me, and he said, next time I'm Gene Autry. (laughs) And it is at these moments in your boyhood that you realize that it's not the people you want to notice you who matter half as much as the people who already do notice you. Your friends who are shoulder to shoulder with you. Who even though you're an awkward boy, who even though you're a little bit gangly in some places and a little bit overweight in other places, these people see you as a high riding hero cowboy. These people are the ones who will stick with you all the way until your end and then lay you down. Friendship is everything, everything, everything. Hey, thank you very much for having me this evening. It's been a wonderful pleasure. Appreciate it very much. Hey, thanks for listening to Sean of the South. I've been your host today, Sean Dietrich. And man, it's been a bona fide pleasure. If I do say so myself, this episode was brought to you by Case Knives, a tradition of my family dating back to my granddaddy. Who once said the best way to cure idle hands was to build something. So keep your hands sharp with a Case Knife. And by Folklore Brewing and Meadry, quite literally the best brew in Alabama. Visit FolkloreBrewingAndMeadry.com. The music here behind me today was the Presley Sisters, born and raised in Brass town north carolina these are an authentic appalachian duet that focuses on tight harmonies and lyrical meaning Corey Preston plays the guitar madeline while singing harmony and her sister katie plays the fiddle and piano while singing lead do yourself a favor and visit thepresleygirls.com and download their new album today you will not regret it to find out anything more about what i do you can visit sean of the south show.com and there you can find archived episodes dating back to our very first episode all the way to this episode which you just heard but i don't know why you must have a terrible taste of podcasts. And while you're there, I hope you take the time to drop me a line. Tell me about your birthday announcements, wedding invitations, and potluck socials. And I'll do my best to mention them over there for my friends. Because I love to do that sort of stuff for my friends. And friends, my grandmother used to have a dog that nicknamed Egypt. Because wherever he went, he left little pyramids. Adios. Adios.